Hello and welcome to Who's Dropping at the Movies. I'm Mike. And I'm Jose. And today we've seen Knives Out, which is, well, easy to spoil, so I guess I'll give a kind of spoiler-free praise and a suggestion, if not an urging, that people see it. Because I think it's a decent movie and quite good fun. I didn't like it. We can get on to things like that, but I think it's worth seeing. Okay. It's I, a, it's a bit uh, of a I would just wait for it to come up on Netflix or something. Fair enough. Um, what it's about, it's, it's uh, by Ryan Johnson. Who also nothing was Ryan Johnson. If it's fucking Ryan Johnson, why doesn't he spell it Ryan Johnson? Why is it Rihan Johnson or something? Well, it's spelled R I A N, but I mean, you can't really blame him for his parents' spelling mistakes. It's anyway, it's Ryan yeah. Johnson. Okay, I mean, what's the go, problem? Well, you know, it's kind of Rihan to me, it's spelled that way, but you know, well, his name's Ryan, so okay, good live well, with it. It's Jones. Yeah. <laughs> 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 well, 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 Ryan, Ryan Johnson's interesting. <laughs> Uh, Ryan Johnson's an interesting character to me because from a kind of indie uh, sort of, I suppose, sensibility, he's become a big deal in Hollywood. I mean, he's he's the only person apart from George Lucas to have written and directed Star Wars films. Yeah. You know, he's in charge of Star Wars 8 to 9, and I think he's been given uh, control of a trilogy beyond that, like a side sort of trilogy. I think I, I, liked, uh, I liked Brick and I liked Looper. And I quite like those Star Wars films, actually. Yes. Yeah. Well, so well, not you know. that he didn't do the he didn't do the Force Awakens. That was J.J. Abrams, but he did the last one, right? The the Last Jedi, and he's doing the one that's out this Christmas. Okay. So um, and yeah, I never saw Brick, and I loved Looper yeah, so I, much. I like Looper very much as well. Um, and this film has the feeling, I suppose, of a kind of one for me kind of thing. Like he's he's doing the corporate sort of movies, but this has a feeling of like in the middle. They're going to give me this budget, and I can get all the stars I want because I've got quite a bit of cachet, and I make the film I want. I mean, to me, frankly, I kind of this felt like a, a less successful version of the types of films that I really loved uh, growing up in the nineteen seventies. Right? You know, so Murder on the Orient Express, Death on the Nile, those big budget kind of uh, Agatha Christie uh, mm. mysteries with big stars, with Betty Davis and people like that, right? Uh, and Bacall and, you know, so on. Um, I big, People who had been big stars in the 40s then reappeared, right? So I suppose the equivalent would have been, you know, to have like Jane Fonda and Robert Redford and people like that in this movie. And and I just love the production values. They were always they always looked like expensive films and, you know, they, they had a bit of wit about them. And then you know, kind of, that was also the era of uh, doing spoofs of uh, films like that. Uh, so Murder by Death, I remember, you know, uh, and, and then they had, I think that that's the one that had Truman Capote in it. And yeah, so, so, um, and I think there was a version of, of Clue as well. Uh, well, there was a film called Clue, and it had a couple of different endings. Okay, yeah. that's right. I don't know if it was a. I don't know if that was really a parody, but I, I, I never it, saw it. So I get them all mixed up. I mean, um, anyway, I love this kind of film. Is what I'm trying to say, I mm. suppose. And I really didn't like this one, you know. And I thought, uh, um, I mean, so one of my friends was saying, "Well, who are these people in this film? They didn't recognize the stars." And I just think that's a bit of British bias, right? Like. You know, Jamie Lee Curtis and, and and Michael Shannon and people like that are big stars. 
Um, though, you know, I get, I do get their point a little bit. Uh, Tony Collette is a big star and so on. But, yeah. Um, but anyway, I just, I didn't like uh, the look of the film at all. Uh, you know, I, I thought it looked inelegant and too dark. And everything seemed to be shot in this wide-angle, distortive kind of, you know, mm. lens, which, which I didn't like. Um, so I did like some of the things. I mean, there's a running joke about... Well, let me, before we get into those, let me quickly say what the plot is, because it is easy to spoil. So okay. I, I want to put in a, a kind of quite a clear spoiler break. Okay, yeah. fine. I'm, yes, so, I'm hoping not to spoil it. Yeah, yeah. So let's... Um, the, the version of the story that doesn't have spoilers in, because it is so spoilable, because it's a whodunit and de- detective and all the rest. Um, an old man who owns a, a publishing company, he's a writer, he's got a you know, kind of big estate and a family full of dickheads, is found dead having slit his throat in his room mm. on his 85th birthday, the morning after his 85th birthday. And um, the film is primarily set a week later when uh, the detectives who have investigated have come back with another detective, mm. uh, a private detective who doesn't work with the police. He's just there alongside. He's been privately hired by someone who's played by Daniel Craig. His name is Detective Benoit Blanc. De- Benoit Blanc. Yeah. Um, who's he's clearly uh, meant to be from New Orleans or Louisiana. He's or like a Kentucky, like deep south. They call him like Kentucky Fried Chicken or something. Kentucky Fried <laughs> CSI KFC. Yes. <laughs> and... Um, I mean, that is the kind of very basic setup. What happened and the, the, the interrelationship between this family and the ongoing sort of... The, all the revelations that come out and that sort of thing. That is that is very, very basic. That is the very basic spoiler-free setup. Now, this is the version that has a few spoilers. You actually find out fairly early on. Probably It's probably like end of the first act kind of thing. Actually, what happened. But that's typical of this kind of film. So, you know, and this is now spoilers. So, you know, you 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 often find out who did it but then actually by the end of the film you realize that the person who even thinks they did it themselves is wrong so you know there's still the big uh 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 there is a big reveal scene where the detective grandstands and shows that he worked it all out yeah a drawing room reveal scene yeah so there's a drawing room set up very classically and then there's a drawing room kind of reveal scene at the end uh, but so, I, do, I do think that was a surprising element that you learn in, in such detail what happened so early on because then it becomes more about is the detective going to find out and what's he going to find out, that sort of thing. <laughs> Whereas when you think about Agatha Christie, you do think about Poirot kind of right at the end going, no, this is the truth. Oh. Just, you know what I mean? In in a much more kind of... Yeah, this is not too different than that. You know, not too different. And it's a pastiche. I was expecting it to be more of a sort of no one can leave this room until I, they establish their whereabouts as the evening last. You know, and there's actually that's this, that's those first interviews, and then it becomes a story about the fallout of the investigation um, to an extent. I kind of I thought it didn't look good. It, it looked off. It looked like a Yorgos Lantiamos film <laughs> with a mystery in it. I didn't like it. I thought it was too dark, though. You know that could be the projection. Yeah, you know, that kind of what we were seeing was too dark. I thought the performances were uneven. So I thought some people were really great. You know, so I love Christopher Plummer. I love Jamie Lee Curtis. I love Tony Collette. Uh, I liked uh, Don Johnson. Um, but then there were, you know, others that could have been better. I actually, I thought the young Colombian nurse or the, you know, the Latin American nurse. Ana de Armas. 
Yes, I thought, uh, you know, she was perfectly fine, but I thought she was giving a TV kind of performance in this movie. Like, everybody else was stylized, and she was just meant to be natural and... Though, yeah. you know, I think that's, that's. I think her character kind of comes out of her look as much as anything because her look is. I mean, I mean, literally, her physical look is one of this big-eyed innocence. Yes. Someone's drilling. So. Someone's drilling. Yeah. Um, her look is this one of big-eyed innocence, as I say, and she doesn't do a lot with it. Really. Yes. Her job is to remain looking big-eyed and innocent throughout. Yeah. Pretty much. Uh, I thought Daniel Craig was great, though, and I know you're going to No, with I did not like him, actually. I really enjoyed him. I didn't like him at all. Like, I didn't like the way he looked. I couldn't understand, for example, why he fucking didn't shave. You know, he's got this tiny little white beard throughout. And actually, I was wondering, is this shot on digital? Because you can really see, you know, uh, that he just hasn't shaved, really. Uh, you know, which kind of... I mean, that's just a small detail. Well, I suppose he's supposed to be that kind of genius who just shows up and does the whole thing, but he's not 100% professional. He can, you know... I mean, I don't necessarily agree with that construction, but I think that's sort of the, the what the rationale would have been behind him having that stubble. Yeah, well, you know, I didn't like it. And actually, to me, he is a major problem with the film. Uh, though, you know, kind of the audience responded to him, you know, in several ways. Uh, in several instances, but actually, I think even by audience standards, like they didn't respond to everything he did. Unlike, for example, Chris Evans, the audience I think responded to everything. You know, um, mm. though, yeah, he looked quite weird as well. Actually, you know, I how, think how so? Well, you know, he's got very beautiful uh, um, eyelashes, <laughs> yeah, and kind of in very beautiful eyes. But his face is becoming like you know people who take too many drugs when they're working out. You know, they have a little puffiness. Steroids. Yeah, they have like a little steroidy face. He's getting to have it like that, you know. So, uh, but he's very good, I thought, you know. And the screen kind of charged up every time he appeared. Right. Um, and I don't think I'm biased. I think you're a little bit biased. He's no, good. because I love Daniel Craig for similar reasons. I mean, you know, I think uh, Daniel Craig's always been very fanciable. But I just don't think he, he, he doesn't stylize his performance enough. You know, whereas actually, I think Chris Evans does. You think he should have gone more overboard? I think he should have stylized it, like, he should have made it into a Poirot-type figure. Mm. Yeah, the whole performance should have been stylized. He is meant to be, like, larger than life and, yeah. you know, kind of New Orleans-y and so on. And I think he's too restrained with it, really. I get what you mean. Um, so, so anyway, I didn't like that. Um, well, let's think about the look. You mentioned the look a couple of times now, and... Um, I don't necessarily agree with you on the darkness. I, I, it didn't. That didn't really occur to me. Put it that mm. way. So chalk it up to different tastes, or whatever. I thought it looked all right in that respect. Um, I get what you mean with the use of wide angle. It's not like it's not fisheye, but it is very nice. It is. It's it is very bordering on it sometimes. Yeah, well, it, it, it distorts the edges. And it, to, to an extent, but it's more about uh, kind of emphasizing. Like I think it's it's a film that wants to have that, um, as you say, that drawing room thing of. Of setting a scene with with uh, emphasizing blocking <coughs> in the scene, mm. you know, characters strewn all over the place, and then standing in the back, in the foreground, that sort of thing. Sometimes when the camera moves around to really emphasize things, they come very very close, and that and as you said, that distorts and everything. Mm. But you know, I think that that's I think it's used well sometimes. Like I think when um, when Marta uh, is revealed to have earned this inheritance from Christopher Plummer. 
uh, and the um, the room turns on him, and the camera winds up with Jamie Lee Curtis like pointing, I think, or pretty much at, pretty much, it's like a three D effect almost, like almost through the screen at the mm-hmm. audience, like you know, it, accusatory and angry and that sort of thing. I think she was great. I think the 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 wide angle kind of really emphasizes that in quite a fun way. I think the point of it is to have a sense of fun, which I don't think necessarily always works. And I would have liked the beauty of that composition that you know from the likes of Murder on the Orient Express. Yes. With with the the longer lens and the and sometimes some of those images look like paintings almost. Mm. You know, I would have liked to have seen more of that. Here. I would have liked the film to be more elegant. Yeah. Yes. Uh, you know, because I don't think that you know that type of framing adds anything. Um, so, and one thing that really bothered me, actually, just you know, because you know that these things are meant to be fun, and so you want them to be really slick and stylized, and mm. and so on. But I think there are um, things to be observed. So, for example, I think we needed more of a rationale. Why does Christopher Plummer turn against his family? Because it's quite a thing to disinherit all of them. Right, so you know, kind of, you're you're given some rationales, but not others, right? So, for example, you're told that the Tony Collette character has been stealing from him. Fair enough, You've got a reason to disinherit, mm. right? Kind of, uh, actually, uh, you're not really given a good excuse for disinheriting uh, uh, Chris Evans. I mean, yes, he's you know, he's not the most useful member of society, but presumably he hasn't been for a very long time. So, you know, why at this moment did he decide to disinherit them all? And actually, you get the sense that, um, you know, so, so, so Jamie Lee Curtis' husband, Don, the Don Johnson character, okay, he's disinherited because he's cheated on her. But Jamie Lee Curtis is his daughter, so why disinherit her? She doesn't seem to have done anything, right? Um, She's the only one that I didn't, that I had that question about. Uh, well, the, the other the thing is, the, the others I'm, I'm totally fine with because... I think it is one of these again. Maybe I'm being too fair to the film, but it's it is going for this fun pastiche thing, and it's one of these things you expect. It's the setup to the thing. He's done this, and it gives everyone motive. You know. Well, but but I needed more because you know it doesn't need to have taken long, but you know you needed two things. First, you know why clearly doesn't inherit them all, and secondly, why leave his money to his nurse instead of to a dog pound or something, right? Yeah. So well, she was his friend. She was his friend and she earned it. She was nice to him and they, they had a relationship and that's just, sometimes a crazy old coot can do that. Well, I needed more of a reason than that, yeah. you know. Well, why would um, you leave it to a dog pound? Whatever, leave it to his mother. I mean, there's also, you know, the thing about what's going to happen to his mother, right? Uh, the whole, everybody's disinherited. So, I mean, I just, I just think it's not, people have been praising the screenplay and I think there's a lot of holes in it, actually. Sure. Uh, Fair enough. I think they're praising probably more the dialogue. Yeah, but yeah. that's not a screenplay. No, <laughs> no, but I mean that's no, but that is what they are praising. I think because uh. that's what is identifiably good and fun about mm. it. You know, the way the way the characters bounce off each other and that sort of thing is good fun. Uh-huh. And I think it's also well directed and well edited. You know, oh that, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm. You know, when Chris Evans comes in and the whole argument starts, and you get these moments where he's off to the side laughing, they're having a go at each other. I, I think I think those those scenes have real sort of palpable energy to them hmm. and I think I think um, most of the performances are good though I also think they're inconsistent and I like that about it uh, I do like that there was an attempt to just make things fun and I think it kind of uh, it succeeded well enough 
Um, I wanted it to be glossier, more elegant, uh, uh, more more symmetrical. Yeah, kind of that you know where where things are, you know, as they progress, or that you're actively seeking to find out, or that you're, you know, really surprised. I mean, how do you mean more symmetrical? I'm not sure exactly what I, what you mean. That things are balanced. So, for example, if you're going to disinherit everyone, you want to know why everyone is disinherited, not just some people. Yeah. Right. So. We knew most of them. It's just Jamie Lee Curtis doesn't make any sense. Well, you know, I mean, so, for example, the mother is a major character in the narrative, right? You know, so for her to be disinherited along... The mums don't just get make sense. <laughs> Mums don't get yes, they do. She's already, she's already got her fortune. No, but you make a will in case things happen. You know, yeah, so she's already got her fortune. It's only the kids who need it. She's right. She's going to be sitting there in her fur coats at the edge of a. You don't know table. that she might. She might be booted out of the house and with nowhere to go. You I'm don't. Sure she you don't know fine. that. Well, he would have said something. so. So uh, anyway, so I kind of, I think it could have been a lot more elegant and cleaner. Uh, and it's it's quite a messy film, I think. I was chatting to my brother about it only a little bit because I hadn't seen it and he had, so I didn't want to know anything. Mm. And he said it reminded him of your comments, or I think he said you he thought you would say something about similar to what you said about Sin City, which is that as a pastiche, it's good fun, but entirely insubstantial. Well, it is definitely entirely Inter- insubstantial, <laughs> you know. Um, do you and think it there's is a, definitely a pastiche? Do you think there's a comparison to be made between this and Sin City? No, except because I, you know, I love Sin City though. Mm. You know, like uh, you don't have any problems with the way it looks. I loved its look. Mm. Uh, I, you know, I love the burst into color. I love the noir feel of it. Uh, no, I kind of this doesn't uh, really evoke any of that that it should. As in, it looks like. The pastiche of Agatha Christie that it should, but it doesn't feel like it. The thing is that those Agatha Christie, you still see them on TV all the time. Yeah. And really, they're so much better than this. Yeah, I want to get Columbo's on every single day. Yeah, yeah. but but the, but the ones I'm thinking about, like Death on the Nile, you know. I mean, you are traveling through the Nile. And you have, like, you know, uh, uh, Maggie Smith and, and David Niven and Betty Davis and... You know, Jane Birkin and Mia Farrow, I mean, it, you know, it's kind of like a really glamorous cast, right? Mm. Um, you know, and, and also kind of, you know, part of the mystery takes place in uh, the pyramids. And so, I mean, it's a different level of, you know, yeah. glossy kind of production value than this. Uh, so, Which so, I suppose is why I say this has the feeling of that one for me kind of film. Like this isn't if this were made for a hundred million dollars, yes, it, it probably would be that. Yeah, exactly. And, and uh, to be fair, it might still be directed the way it is, and that's an issue. But you know, the, but in terms of the cast and the production values, that sort of thing, this is a film that's made for forty million. Yeah, I think you looked up the yeah. So it has it, it has that thing to it. The budget has all gone on the cast, really. Probably. Um, and um, a bit on the sets, which yeah. are you know, the kind of great sets. But they're not filmed to the. I don't think they're very well used. I mean, even you know, you could have turned that mansion into a haunted house, or you know, you could have made it more glamorous or more elegant, or you know, it seemed a bit piddly, really, for you know, (laughs) for that kind of house. I mean, any you know, the house in any television, British television mystery, Agatha Christie would be much more imposing, and you know, than this. So it would feel like a symbol. Well, yeah. actually, let me think about that because there is something that I, that I wanted to think about in terms of the themes and the kind of settings and the, the character makeup. Because essentially, what you what the film is 
or what the, what the conflict between the characters comes down to at its core is a wealthy family who whose kids have all been uh, born Spoiled. into privilege. Uh, yeah, born into um, money and privilege. I mean, to be fair, the, the one thing that I think you do get about the Jamie Lee Curtis character, which might be some form of grounds for disinheritance, is this million dollar loan that she was given. That the the difference being between her and the other characters is she seems to have actually built something with it. So yeah, but it, there is there, there are there are very clear references to Trump and Republicanism in it. Very many. Um, and there's a central kind of argument scene in the middle of the film uh, uh, when you see a flashback to. Um, the 85th birthday party where you've got all the kids in the family I say kids, they are people in their 30s and 40s um, having a debate about uh, Trump about immigration uh, illegal immigration and how you know you come to this country there are legal ways to become American and all this sort of thing, you, should, you shouldn't break the law and, then they, and it's all just this bunch of white people in this family having this argument white, very privileged people who've all broken the law pretty much yeah <laughs> um, and then they invite in uh, uh, Marta Ana de Armas' character, who is the carer for um, for the granddad, to kind of give her views. And she's very much well, kind of put on the spot. to support their view rather than to yes, give her exactly. View. But she's very much put on the spot. And so, although they're horrible people for other reasons, they also they are also kind of classical white supremacy, white or basically white supremacists. They are even, even the ones who are more liberal. Yeah, however nice they are, you know, on one level, they're all white supremacists and they can't even get her country of origin right, you know, which is a running joke in the film. Yeah. You know, in Brazil, where you come from, in Uruguay, you know, I, for these people, anywhere south of the border is the same. Yeah. Right. Um, and, so, and then the final image... You know what actually that reminded me, sorry, before yeah, no, I lose yeah, the on. thread, is what this film has is the kind of attitudes that you have in British... Uh, pop culture until the 19... Well, some would say until now, you know, but let's say, you know, until until the war, right? You know, where, uh, you know, you read novels and like, oh, that Dago or, you know, kind of, i.e., that anyone who's not British is, is just, like, you know, absolutely inferior, right? And they could never get people's nationalities right. And they even just make fun of how you pronounce certain names, right? And it's all meant to be, like, a big joke. And actually, what's interesting about this film is you see all of those attitudes transposed there. <laughs> yeah, and that's something I wasn't expecting. Like uh, in a film where I I knew it was about uh, you know uh, uh, this kind of a family, or, uh, rich white people is what I mean by that, and and one of them might be murdered or whatever it is. Um, you know, I wasn't expecting such a clear political dimension in it. Actually. That that was a nice surprise, and I think that's something that you may uh, I haven't seen enough. Or, or even read enough Agatha Christie and that sort of thing to to suggest. But of those I have seen, it's not something that really comes in. These are that's more just background to who the people are, and it's not something that is approached in the text. This is active. You're right. And um, actually, it made me think of that argument that I think Bordwell makes. You know that it's ridiculous to look at films, you know, as readings of society because you know they're often made so le- so much after the facts or whatever that. Yeah, yeah, you know, so... Um, but actually, in this one, you know, when they were talking about, like, children being incarcerated and torn apart from their parents and jailed and, you know, all of that seemed quite actual, actually, quite a commentary on contemporary American culture. Yeah, so, so it's there on that level, in that particular scene, but then it's also on the level of what's going on in the plot. So 
Marta is given the entire estate, the company, $60 million of just personal wealth and the house, which they want to pretend is like this ancestral home. And actually they bought it in the 80s, it turns out. From some Indian family. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But so I think, you know, you can you can read you can read the family's anger as not just that they're not getting it, but that she's getting it. And who is she? And this woman who they, as you say, don't care about. They don't know where she comes from. There's this running joke again, along with the her country of origin thing of um, I said you should have been invited to the funeral, but I was outvoted. And a couple of them say that. And it's obvious that no one wanted her there. You know, no one stood up for her, even though she was the, uh, the granddad's closest friend and his carer. So I think that's part of it, right? That's part of their anger. And then, because because that's also when the family becomes a unit. She's a common enemy, you know, because yeah. she's with, she's withholding the, the, the inheritance from all of them. And then that final shot mm. where she's kind of got away with it, as it were, or, or actually turned out that she didn't really do it and the cop is definitely on her side, is, is I think, the best composed shot of the t- whole film because yes. it's, the, it's her on the balcony of the house looking down on all of them. With the cup saying, my house. My house, my rules, my coffee, oh. the mug says. And that's that's hugely sort of symbolic that she's she's in there and she has it and they don't. That's true. And I thought you know so that's something I really liked about it. Yes, I like that as well. Um, and yes, I think actually do. for the most part, although it brings it up in that in that argument scene as we've said, I think actually other than that, it is very subtly done. Like I think you could read that without that scene being there to bring it up so clearly. Mm. You know. But you think it's making a statement that it's so clear, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it doesn't want you to miss it. Yeah, you yeah. know. I think it doesn't want you to. I think it probably has the opinion that its audience, upon discovering that this family is so clearly heavily Republican and holds these views, and some of them are Trump sympathisers or Trump voters or however you might mm. want to put it, um, you know, you will take against the family. I think there's a deeper thing going on, really, because, so for example, I mean, just thinking about the Tony Collette character and her daughter, right? Tony Collette is meant to be like a free spirit, always standing up for the underdog, and yeah, but actually, when it, you know, when, when her money is threatened, yeah, kind of, she's revealed as being really quite something else, and more, more than that, she's a thief, right? Yeah. yeah. So, so there's also this thing about, you know, liberals' opinions that are, you know, easy to mouth, but actually difficult to act upon. And it's consistent also with her daughter, right? Who's always like touchy-feely, huggy, yeah. you know, we're friends, you know, you, nurse, and I. Liberal yeah, arts college. Li- yeah, but actually, you know, when my position is threatened, I turn you in, yeah. right? You know, so, so I think the film is quite good at those things, actually. I, I do like that about it. Um, I think that's quite deft of it, actually. Yes, it's true. It's just not enough for me. No, sure. Um, I mean, that for me is the best thing I can say about it, and I and I do think it's good fun, and it it it, it did go certain places I didn't expect. Although, nor like there were there were times when it was so clearly gearing up to an obvious thing, like when when the daughter is on the phone to yes. Marta. And and she's having supposedly a confidential conversation, and the camera turns at the end, and you see the whole family's mm. there, essentially listening in on the phone call. That's a very obvious thing. I don't know if anyone's. I don't know if you could expect anyone to be really surprised at that reveal. No, but that but that I didn't mind, you know. But for example, you know the scene where they go to the rendezvous where something is being revealed, and the housekeeper is there. 
I just wished all of that would have been filmed with more flair. Mm. You know, kind of... Uh, yeah, yeah like, drama. There's no drama in the filming of it, right? You know, because you have this thing tied to a chair, and it's true you don't see the face. You know, but it just looks like an empty garage. I mean, they could have done so much more to create tension, you know, more shadows to make it more more dissonant or more beautiful or more tense. Or, yeah, there's a whole room for expression rather than these wide shots of this empty garage mm. with a person you can't see in the middle. I mean, it just yeah. felt so insufficient. Really. Throwing a Dutch angle here or there. Well, yeah. I think I agree. I mean, I think that it goes back, in a sense, to the central... Um, Daniel Craig character, and I think I think you're right when you say you know you want it to be you want it to be more you want it to be 120 yes. percent, you know of, of because in a way that was that was kind of the thing that I liked the most about the new Murder on the Orient Express that Kenneth Brown directed yes. his portrayal of Poirot I loved and mm. it is silly and it's the big mustache with two layers and stuff yes. and, and a very very silly accent you know there's a lot of the similar things going on here apart from the mustache. But yeah, you, it's not quite enough. You want it to be all yes. more. You want it to be more of a panto. Yes, and actually, you know, I mean, the original Murder on the Orient Express. I mean, if you think of Sean Connery and Vanessa Redgrave and Lauren Bacall and Ingrid Bergman, I mean, you know, kind of that's like a production value in itself. And actually, I also think that what's different in that in those types of films, but very much in that one actually, in contrast to this one is that everyone is given their moment. Whereas actually, I think in this film, not every actor is given their moment to shine. You know, like, mm. and actually very important ones. For example, I would have appreciated for, for Jamie Lee Curtis to really have her moment. Whereas she's wonderful in so many bits, but, but most of those Always bits are with not... someone else. Yeah, they're not about her. Yeah. You know, and yet she is the daughter, right? So she deserved the moment. Uh, I thought Tony Collette was better at grasping them. You know, but someone like Don Johnson, whom I like very much, and again, you know, he's got a real... I mean, he was never a film star, but he's got this real film star thing. He's very watchable. You know, you're drawn to him when he appears. You know, but he really isn't given a moment, right? Mm -hmm. um, so so here what happens is that Chris Evans, yeah, kind of, he's on the edges, and then halfway through the film, he becomes kind it's of center. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but I and this is what I suppose what I mean by the film being asymmetrical imbalance, yeah. Mm -hmm. It's an ensemble piece or it should be an ensemble piece and it doesn't yeah, it doesn't quite feel like it. You know, so uh um anyway, yeah, yeah just a thought. Yeah, but I think like it's a it's a script that you probably congratulate yourself on writing because you go I've come up with all this clever stuff how this murder worked or it turns out it wasn't a murder because someone switched the thing so I never murdered him in the first place and it was all you know, an accident and then he killed himself and blah blah, blah. all this very clever stuff and also these, these these kind of rhymes in certain things about um, like bringing up um, Crystal Plummer's character talking about a guy who can't tell the difference between a, a real knife and a stage one yes, and then at and the then end a stage yeah. knife and, and the moment that he does it you go oh, of course you know, yeah, why yeah. don't I remember that line yeah. like, it has a couple of those moments which are lovely and you go yeah. oh I wish I wish I thought about the puking thing as well she pukes when she when she lies yes. and and that's actually used very well in and quite so, a surprising reveal right at the end well, where she's held in this puke yeah 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 <laughs> to get um, him to incriminate himself that's a lovely moment well I mean, that worked very well, though it was obvious from the get-go, really. I didn't uh, think so. Oh, didn't you? No, that was a oh, I, I, I did. I knew that. Um, you know, uh, and I knew that they would make a big joke out of... Picking eventually. Eventually, yeah. that's right. So, um, and of course, you know, puking on Captain America. 
Yes. So, you know, I, I think that has resonance. The sure. Star but Captain America's been a dick throughout as well. Well, and Captain America goes to jail whilst, you know, immigrant with an illegal mother gets all of the house and so on. So, yeah, yeah the film kind of is interesting in those ways. Um, you know, but for me, it kind of... I mean, I don't begrudge it. You know, it was, it was a, a couple of... Uh, hours in the cinema and it was mostly fun but I also didn't feel oh this is kind of great fun I, you know you laughed more than I did really and I, I also I looked at my watch I thought oh when is this going to end yeah I sense that although you did have a little scream yes when he slit his throat in fact which yes. I thought I mean could there be any less surprising thing to happen <laughs> but <laughs> well I thought it might be fake you see Oh right, okay. <laughs> no, you, you I mean, well, in you know, these types of films, you never know. It could have reappeared no. at the end, or you know, like it, the, it's it's yeah. an opening with possibilities. Uh, so um, anyway, I think you know. Uh, um, it's a trifle. It's a trifle. A reasonably fun trifle. It's not going to win any awards, or it shouldn't. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, do you think it would lose anything by being seen on a smaller screen? Probably not. I didn't think so either. No. Uh, so unfortunately, which which is a consideration, you know, because I was talking to a friend uh, on Saturday, um, and she was saying, you know, she'd been to the pictures in London, mind you, it is London, right? But eighteen pounds a ticket, mm. right? Like, I mean, I think here it's nine or ten, isn't it? Yeah. So it's like half Maybe. price of London. Uh, but still, you know, kind of, uh, you you do need a reason, I think, to go well, see Well, certainly things. for the independent cinemas around here, it's about £10 a ticket. But the yeah. Cineworld, we pay for the card, so I actually yeah. don't know what a proper ticket costs there. That's right. But, you know, the others are about a tenner. Right? Yeah. You know. So, um, so it's, it, yeah, as you, can it, you need a reason. I'll tell you the one thing, actually, and this is actually fairly damning, I think. The one thing that it would lose most of all on telly is your attention. Oh, that's for sure. You know? Yeah. Like, I think... There are any th- movie does actually for me. Sure, but but in this one in particular, there are there is minutiae in you know in in the plot. There are details about you know it has all the classic things about motives, items, this sort of thing, sure. keeping track of stuff, keeping track of what people have worked out and all that sort of thing and what, mm. and what they're hiding. That in the cinema, you know, you're concentrating on it the whole time and you're following it and you're going, who did this and what did that mean and all this and the rest. I don't think you'd pay the attention that you need to on the TV mm. to it and you, and that might just lose you right okay fair enough that's a good point uh, so but I think it's worth catching you know despite despite those criticisms which which aren't trivial mm. I think it's still worth catching okay um, although we have ruined the whole thing so <laughs> well you know kind of yeah. alright um, so thank you very much for listening we're eavesdropping at the movies and we are on iTunes, SoundCloud YouTube and Spotify um, on social media, we're on Facebook and Twitter, and the website is eavesdroppingatthemovies.com. Thank you very much for listening. Bye bye. <laughs>